Hello and welcome. Now, Mark has been sitting on this island staring at palm trees for far too long. And as a result, he's now invested in a company called M.P. Evans, who are producers of sustainable palm oil. Mark tells me that this is an excellent investment. But as a non-investor, I am aware of the fact that some consumers and some product manufacturers are not entirely happy with palm oil. So this is an interesting one. Let's see what Mark has to say about it in this episode four of The Desert Island Investor. Okay, Mark, so tell us all about MP Evans. MP Evans, ticker symbol MPE, are a producer of sustainable Indonesian palm oil. And they've got plantations on both milling capacity, uh, exclusively all in Indonesia. So it's not a small company. It's got a market capitalization of now 454 million. And it's relatively, I think, modestly valued. It's got a a P of 7.7 and it's currently yielding about 5.1%. So um, those are numbers that I like. Um, Profitability is good. Uh, On revenues of $326.9 million, it had profit. That's not operating profit, but profit of 78.4 million. That's slightly down on the previous year um, where it had $91.9 million dollars profit million dollars but that included 12.6 million pounds of a land sale that's non-repeating so um that's a little bit of a sketch and it's uh got net cash of 33.5 million dollars 454 million pounds that's quite a, a sizable business mark are they are they well known in the investment space not really. It's, a bit, it's one I, I would describe as a bit of a ghost, really, because relative to its size, it doesn't seem to get a lot of coverage. You know, I think a lot of people look at the blue chips or they go fishing for small caps. And very often there's, there's, there's companies you know, in the middle that um, don't get probably their, their fair share of coverage. So perhaps that's something we can um, rectify today. Established 150 years ago, so around an awful long time, uh, yeah. What can you tell us about the history? Yeah, well, they started off, I think, in, like done a number of things. They've metamorphosized over the year, over the years. They've been involved in tea and rubber, and in later years, they in farming Australia, doing sheep and, and beef, and even cotton and wool. But now they're exclusively involved in palm oil uh, in one country, Indonesia. Previously, they did have some. Uh, some some plantations out in Malaysia, but they found that Indonesia is by far a better place for them in that there's more plentiful of availability of labour and uh, it's cheaper labour and also the soils are superior in Indonesia as well. So, um, yeah, 150 years is a long time ago. And it's uh, quite interesting in that they announced in the results that were, that were out uh, this week, I... I paid uh, £8.18 earlier on this month. Um, this is, I think I mentioned that when, when, when we did the first episode, I, I bought into 
MTI Wireless Group. That was my first investment. New, new, new holding in four years. And now within two months, I've added another new stock. So I'm being positively uh, promiscuous. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, they, they own a lot of um, land, uh, yeah. plantation land, I yeah. assume. Yeah. Just on, um, yeah, they've got a total of, uh, or they, they, they manage 54,100 hectares, of which just slightly over 40,000 hectares they own outright. And the the balance is that they they manage manage the land of some small share uh, scheme holders, so small some some scheme small holders, Paul. Right. You know, okay. Another like you know fourteen thousand hectares, something like that. So that's that's the area where the the palm the palm trees um, exist, but they're, yes. they're processed. The the actual palm uh, oil is produced by mills and and. Uh, do they own mills or do yeah they've they got six six of their own mills and they, they intimated that they will be uh bringing a seventh one online and that gives them they're currently processing 96 percent of their own crop and that gives them a lot more uh management of um what's going through you know that's that's a, a, a they process that as a more, more advantageous price if they're if they're processing their own crop and as well for certification in order to be um sustainable palm oil it's the mills that are, that are have to be certified and not the plantations so if you're owning the the mill as well as the plantations that gives you greater control so um they're currently you know 64 percent of, of production is is certified sustainable that doesn't mean that the balance isn't sustainable it's just certified and they've said that their goal is to get that up to a hundred percent Okay, a lot of employees. Yeah, eleven thousand seven hundred. So it's not insignificant, and a lot of these, you know, uh, live within the uh, live within the grounds of of the business. So um, yeah, they live cheek by jowl by by the company. So, so how's I mean, you've you've come up with this um, heritage index uh, rating before on a previous podcast. So how does Indi- Indonesia uh, rank in that? Yeah, well, it's 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 ranked at number sixty, which is classified as moderately free, um, and it's got a score of sixty three point five, and it's sandwiched between Saint Vincent and the Grenadines and Mexico. And as a comparison, we are uh, our score is sixty nine point nine in the UK. So those are the twenty twenty three rankings. So. Um, I think Indonesia is a pr- progressive country, but you know it's slightly lower down the uh, down the you know the food chain. And they always, you know, you're looking for security because if you look at the assets that they've that they've got there uh, in Indonesia, um, what you don't want is is somebody one day just saying, right, we'll have this and we'll run it. You know, thanks very much. Um, governments have a little bit of a tendency to, to do some some silly things and uh one of them was actually in indonesia when the um the ukraine war broke out um obviously there's a massive spike in vegetable oil vegetable oils across across the the spectrum and um they immediately put an embargo on any exports of of palm oil now that <laughs> they've got more than enough to go around in indonesia and what resulted in that was that all the kind of storage capacity got filled up very quickly. So it only lasted a couple of weeks. But um, governments, as we've seen probably with COVID, you know, they can 
come up with some knee-jerk reactions and um, they can do some silly things. So, you know, the concern is that, you know, that you've, that you've got an asset that that's not going to be seized in any way, that, you know, that you that you, you maintain control of it. I mean, it's just, you know, on something like this, uh, palm oil, it is, a, it is a commodity. So generally, that's not something I really like in that, They've got no control over the price. They can't. They can't really do anything other than you know limit supply, and they're, and they're that small. That wouldn't have much of an impact. And you know most commodities are, that we talk about are they're involved in extraction from the ground, whether you know it's oils or minerals or metals, and you're generally depleting that commodity over time. So you've got to factor that into your investment. At least this is a commodity that can repeat. In perpetuity, technically. So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going a little bit out of my, my general barriers for investment. But I think, given the investment case and the fact that I've got a widish portfolio, it's it's a move I'm prepared to make. Now, they, uh, the nature of the way that they employ people. Um, they have a particular focus on what's it called ESG, is it in terms of uh, of how they they treat workers? Mm. Um, what can you tell us about that? Well, going through the report and uh, you know some videos that I've seen, they they're, they're quite you know hands on. In, in in fact, they do things like building schools, community halls, clubhouses. They've got clinics on site. They administered the COVID vaccination, for example. Um, you know, so it's I think they're, they're very much aware because. They're probably in an industry that there's quite a bit of spotlight that they've got to go, you know, a bit further than than some other companies, uh, some other industries in order to be seen to be to doing the right the right thing. And as as well, you know, on the research that I've done over the last couple of months, they seem to be very transparent. Uh, they seem to have to um, go that that extra yard. So, what what exactly is is palm oil used for then? Uh, well, it's used in a, a host of, of different things, really. It's, it's, it's very difficult, it seems, to, to get through life without um, using it. It's um, uh, On the food side, it's used in things like, it's used a lot in processed foods, for like pizzas, donuts, chocolate, and then in such things like, you know, deodorant, shampoo, toothpaste, and, and even lipstick. And um, I have to say, Paul, that, that shade really suits you. You should, you should wear it a little bit more often. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. So, now this is just—I mean—is that international market? I mean, I'm assuming this is a big market. It's not just local, but they have a very strong local market as well, don't they? Yeah. You know, if you look at the consumers of palm oil in the world, um, well, if we t- let's talk about who produces it, because it's you know, it's, uh, Indonesia is the far largest producer in the world. You know, fifty-nine percent of world production. Got Malaysia on twenty three percent, and then and then Thailand is a is a distant third with four percent. When it comes to consumers of palm oil, Indonesia themselves have got are used twenty five percent, India eleven percent, China seven percent, other Asia is twenty four percent, Africa thirteen percent, and then the EU just eight percent. So you know, the, take the UK; it's going to be a very small amount of of palm oil, but you know, it's used around the globe. And it's got a lot of attributes to it. You know, it's it's a very it's the highest yielding uh, vegetable oil in in the world. Um, it produces, on average, three point three tons per hectare. 
um, versus rapeseed is, is next at 0.7 tonnes, sunflower at 0.7 tonnes, and then so soya at 0.4 tonnes. So it, you'd need a lot more land to produce just as much um, oil. And um, it's, uh, it's also the, the only vegetable oil that doesn't have to be uh, sown every year. It's a repeat crop, you know, typically a one palm tree lasts 25 years of, it, of its useful harvesting life. So as part of their sustainability promise, I suppose they're, they're just replanting once the palm tree re reaches its, uh, its end of, end yeah. of life. Yeah. I, I believe that a, a palm peaks at about 10 years and, um, and then it's got a life of about, you know, 25 and then it's, it's, it's progressively replace you know and it's it's a crop that can be harvested all the year round so that's another thing and it's hardy to 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 weather and pests so it's a it's a formidable product uh against what it's competed against you know it, it's apparently it makes spreads more spreadable it's got a longer shelf life um it's stable in high temperatures and it gives food a crispy and crunchy texture and is odorless and colorless so it doesn't impact, you know, how the food looks. Well, okay. The reason I was asking about uh, about the markets was because I know um, that you went recently to an AGM for another company, and you sent me a, a photograph that you'd taken in a pub uh, of a crisp packet that was proudly claiming that they had no palm oil in their crisps. And uh, I've done a bit of googling on this. Obviously, I'm not an investor, so I thought I'd just look at it from a consumer's point of view and there does seem to be um a sort of a pushback certainly in in america and other western markets against products containing palm oil so how are mp evans uh, addressing that issue well, how's the palm oil industry as a whole addressing those uh, criticisms yeah well i think that's where this you know of what mp evans are they they've um they've joined the RSPO in 2005, which is the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil. And it's all about making palm oil sustainable. And the main thing about that is that it doesn't involve deforestation and, and any burning. Um, so, you know, they can only do as, as, as much as they can do. You know, and we've got to you know, acknowledge that, you know, this is a major industry for Indonesia and Malaysia. Um, you know, in fact, I believe that in Malaysia, they, they have, or they did have, you know, palm trees on their banknotes or some of their banknotes. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's a very Im important industry. And I, th I think they're aware that, you know, they've got to, um, to tread carefully. So if you look at, if you kind of break it down into, into criticisms, the, um, Deforestation is, is, is one of them that you just mentioned, and I believe that that's no longer a significant issue because of various bits of legislation that local um, governments have introduced about slash and burn mm. deforestation. Um, there was a, an issue of CO2 um, that I looked at here. Uh, Greenpeace are saying they're the third highest emitter of greenhouse gases, and I suppose that's just down to the production process, is it? Well, uh, yeah, I looked on that uh, web uh on the green greenpeace website and um you know they, they claim that um and probably correctly that um indonesia is the third highest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world but what they fail to point out is that 
um, Indonesia got the fourth largest population. So it's not out of kilter with the number of people in Indonesia. Now, it'd be more of a, a stark statistic if it was like Switzerland or something like that. But, you know, it's a, you know, I think it's got a population of about, you know, 250 million people or something like that. You know, it, it is a big country. So, uh, yeah. The thing that people seem to be protesting about most in respect to the way that palm oil impacts on wildlife is that communities of orangutans, mostly in Borneo and Sumatra, have been displaced. But if companies like MP Evans and the palm oil industry as a whole are addressing these problems uh, and making considerable progress, do you think that boycotting uh, products because they contain palm oil would actually uh, make any difference? Well, I mean, we live in an imperfect world, Paul, don't we? You know, and there's there's other trade offs to make. Um, obviously, you know, we've got to have got to respect the the environment. Um, but you know, look at the people of Indonesia. You know, the GDP per capita in Indonesia is fourteen thousand six hundred and thirty eight dollars per year, and um, in the UK as an equivalent. It's $55,862. So, you know, we, we can afford to be a little bit more um, squeamish on these kind of things. Now, um, I see these industries as going a long way to alleviating poverty and a lot of, you know, use that phrase leveling up in the world. Um, so, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's it, it, like I say, it, it, it's a trade-off. It's not all black and white, you know, and I look at it, it's a, it's a business that, um, you know, some, somebody might as well own, so it might as well be me. Now, this is the first stock that you've reviewed that might make investors think a little bit more about issues outside of the valuation of the business. But unfortunately, there are no impact-free products or services. So if a company or its products do more good than harm, then I guess that's probably the only metric that investors can use to base their decisions on. Yeah. And of course, you know, you, you'll hear about occasionally about um, a sweatshop in Bangladesh employing child labor, you know, then we don't suddenly stop buying t-shirts, do we? You know, it's a case of bringing those individual culprits to task. You can't just blame a whole industry. I mean, they've said that, you know, again, when you look at it, it, it you know, Palm Isle seems to be one of the the, the pinup children of uh, um, of um, the environmental lobby. Yeah, there is, you know, from time to time, there's been accusations of it being an industry that's used child labour, slave labour, human rights abuses. You know, it's it's a case of bringing those individual businesses to task, Paul, not just shutting down an, an entire industry. Um, so. I, I think they're doing it as, as much as they can. Yet again, I assume that the raft is going to go missing um, because MP Evans have a an upcoming AGM that you've been invited to, I believe. Yes, uh, timely, the AGM, because uh, it's um, the 150th anniversary of this business and um, they are having uh, – this one's taking place at the Mansion House uh, in London, and uh, it's going to be followed by a celebratory lunch. So that's something not to miss, Paul. That was uh, something on my um, on my bucket list. So you know, very much looking forward to that. You know, meeting the directors, and um, it should be um, hopefully a, a good event. So I've registered for that. Um, 
there's limited spaces. So if, if any existing shareholders are interested in that, I, I suggest that they sign up to that as quickly as possible. And do uh, MP Evans pay dividends? Yeah, it's something that they're very, very proud of this. Um, they have a 30-year unbroken record of maintaining or increasing their dividends. Uh, and these, this can become a little bit of a, an albatross for some businesses in that they get very, very protective of the dividends um, in, in that they don't want to stop this record. And it results in this kind of smoothing process in that if they've had a real bumpy year, generally, you know, in my experience, they don't want to stretch themselves too much in case the day comes where they've, they've got to halt that that record. So in, in a sense, they're holding some money back for the next year. That's been my, that's been my experience. But um, the dividend this time from MP Evans is up 21.4%. You know, it's 42.5 pence. So it's been more courageous. And if you look at the last few years, they have been racking up this, ratcheting up this, this dividend. So it's been a lot more ambitious, but I will, you know, given that, that they keep trotting out that this, um, this, this long record of maintaining the dividend, they must be confident that this is something to sustain, to use that word, sustainable dividend. So um, yeah, it, that, that bodes well for me. And I believe they've recently made an acquisition as well. Yeah, this was after the uh, the end of the financial year. They've acquired another uh, two thousand one hundred hectares, uh, and that was for fourteen point three million dollars. So, when you look at the um, when you look at the estate that they've got, um, that was valued at the at the end of the year. They get the independently valued, and they're written. This this is something that they release in every annual report. That the the net asset value of the plantations and the mills is is equivalent to fourteen fourteen pounds ninety eight, right? So that values each hectare at twenty thousand seven hundred dollars per hectare. So I've done a calculation based on the back of a, a coconut shell poll, and um, they've been doing some buybacks over the course of the year. The most recent one was at eight pounds forty eight. So uh, that means that they're buying their own hectareage back at $11,718, if that makes sense, as opposed to, um, you know, $20,700. So it's been cheaper for them to buy their own stock back than looking for acquisitions. Now, this most recent one that I mentioned, that that works out at just $6,800 per hectare. You know, so that looks like a, that looks like a bargain. So uh, that you know, that looks a little bit of good work on their point. They've been buying back the stock throughout the year, in the argument that it's it's undervalued, and uh, they've they've cancelled just not point nine percent of the stock. So it's not been a massive buyback program, but you know it, it, it will add up. And it, I think it's a a good use of the capital, given that they're in a, a net cash position. Okay, and you mentioned that uh, the war in Ukraine had had an impact on on the situation how is that likely to change in the future do you think well we don't know how long it's going to last for um it's i mean those areas are, are massive suppliers of, of predominantly uh um you know veg you know it's a, it's a large supplier of vegetable oil is, is the ukraine so that's that's put a spark in the in in the price and hopefully it get resolved 
would imagine if, when that that happy day comes that the the price of you know the various oils on the market will come down. But it's got to be remembered that um, MPFs themselves are facing increased prices through the through the same from the same uh, development in that fertilizer has gone up about hundred percent, something like that. So you know, come come the end of the war, yeah, you know the, the you know the oil price will come down, but you know probably some things like fertilizer will come down as well. So it's not going to be too too devastating. So what's the current world production of palm oil then, and how does MP Evans fit into that? Right, well, world production is currently you know seventy eight point nine million tons, and the prediction is that this is going to increase to between and these forecasts are always a little bit woolly between one hundred and twenty and one hundred and fifty six million tons by twenty fifty. Um, so you know that's a big tailwind for this industry. But, you know, MP Evans account for just, you know, 341.7 thousand tonnes of the current 78.9 million. So it really is a minnow. It's a minnow in this massive industry. And I believe MP Evans has some property in Malaysia as well. Yeah, this is a a historic thing, I think, Paul, in that they've got a 40% minority holding in a company called Bertram Properties in Malaysia. Yeah, historically, um, they have a presence out in Malaysia and uh, they're obviously junior partners. And in the report, this is valued at $49.3 million. And I think it's that in the long term, they will look to extricate themselves from that at an opportune time and, and just concentrate on the palm oil. Right, so it's time for our regular question in a bottle spot. Let's see what's in the bottle today. And this is a question from oh, from Elena Atkinson. That's that's your missus. Correct, well, Paul. Yes. And um, how did she get the address of the island? That's what I want to know. Well, I was. Yeah, I was hoping there would at least be some sanctuary out here. Yeah, clearly not. Uh, she asks, uh, Mark, if you're going to be on that island for some time, um, don't you think you should tell me a little bit about uh, how to get hold of the money? Yeah, yeah. She's, she, she left a, a note on uh, LinkedIn. Perhaps you're going to be on the island for some considerable time. It may have been a good idea to share the account details with me. And uh, it was actually said in jest, but uh, there's actually a serious point behind that. Um, yeah, Elaine's my wife. She's, she describes herself as my um, long-suffering wife. And generally what you find in, uh, in relationships, um, well, in marriages anyway, um, between a man and a woman is that, you know, there's one person who manages the money. And more often than not, it is the man. Um, you fall into these roles. I mean... Going back from personal experience, you know, um, uh, in my parents' case, it was my mother. You know, my my father used to come home on a Thursday with his buff envelope and uh, hand his wage package over, being a good husband, and and she would give him spending money, and um, you know, he didn't really concern himself with the with fam, you know, the the, the finances. 
Um, but, uh, you know, when you get into a relationship, you, you, you tend to fall into these roles. You know, one person will, you know, cut the grass and the other one does the ironing. And it was me, you know, that would um, just find myself, you know, managing managing the money. It's not um, it's not my money. It's her money as, as much as mine. And over our lives, um, she's, I'm happy to say she's she's out-earned me on various stages. It's nothing that I've been... Uh, embarrassed about it's something that i've been i've been very very uh, pleased about so um i've been investing her money as well as my own and um yeah really she's not had any real interest in it and you get to the stage in life where you probably start thinking look there's probably less time in front of me than there is behind me and um i really need to uh, you know start bringing elaine into the kind of the workings of, of what I'm up to in that, you know, if, you know, if you were look at, look to an actuary, the odds would be on, be on me going before her. So, um, you know, yeah, what we do now, um, you know, obviously I have to talk to her over the course of, you know, a month, what's going on, but every month I take a, a valuation of the portfolio and all our finances. And, uh, you know, it's just a snapshot. And then uh, when I've, I've put that together, we have a sit down and we, have, we actually have a meeting. We actually have a meeting of, look, this is where we are versus last month. Uh, this is where we are versus a year ago. Again, it's just a snapshot. This is what I've done. This is what I'm thinking. And, um, you know, she, she knows where, where all the money is because, you know, uh, with my broker, for example, uh, it's all done online and um, there's no annual statement comes through. So if I was to get knocked over with a steamroller, then she might be at a little bit of a miss as to you know to find out where everything is. So you know this meeting lasts for about you know five minutes tops, right? And um, you know just as she's about to get up out of her chair and do something else she'd much rather do, um, you know I just said to her, you know, come the day if you ever know, ever confused what to do, what do you do? And the answer says, you know, the stop phrase, do nothing. You know, if you're not sure what to do, then you know, don't don't make any reckless decisions. You know, just take the the cash off the off the portfolio. Any kind of corporate events, just go along with them, and you'll probably do fine. You know, it's that kind of light touch approach, Paul. So, I mean, I would I'm slightly confused by a couple of things in that. But I mean, is she supposed to get in touch with your broker? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's important that you know, she, you know, a partner knows. Uh, I mean, it's incumbent on on two people really. You know, the the one who's like running more, you know, running the money to, to to share that information, and the other person to to show an interest as well. Um, it's a bit like when we go on holiday. Um, it's generally incumbent upon me to 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 order the drinks or the meals or whatever because I, you know, I speak Italian and I speak a little bit of French, and you know, she could probably do it. At, as well, which is well, you do it better than me. Well, that doesn't mean you you don't have to try. So um, I I brought a lot more you know, in into the tent, shall we say? And like I say, that monthly meeting that we have, where we actually sit, because it, 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 we say we'll get round to it sometime. The fact that it's on the value when we've done the valuation, it's a good opportunity to say, right, this is where we're up to. Literally, it takes about five minutes, five minutes, twelve times a year. That's an hour, and that's that that's that's time well spent. Um, and it, 
would she know what to do? In t- I mean, would she be able to log into your online brokerage account and maintain that account um, going forwards? I mean, are there any issues about transferring that? No, money? it'd have to be transferred off. She'd have to be transferred o- over to her in time. But at least if she knows where it all is, you know, because people do lose in lose touch with you know where the money is. I mean, it's it's only just this week that um, my uh, Last outlying, I won an outlying pension, which is a, a final salary pension, which was, um, this was a business I was with 30 years ago. And um, the other money purchase pensions, I, I grouped them all together and um, transferred those into Vanguard and just their index trackers. But uh, they've sent out their annual newsletter that I've read. And it's not a massive scheme. It's got about 1,100 members, something like that. But just on the very back page, um, they've got a, a section of member tracing and they've got about 30 names of people that they've lost touch with. They don't know their details. So these people have all probably got either their dependents or, um, or their, their, their widows or widowers have, have all have got money, but they've you know probably lost touch with where it is and it's easily done. They, if you move, move house a couple of times or they don't know where to find you. So it's important that you're kept in touch with where your money is so so would the money in your brokerage account have to be transferred into her name in some way yes shape, or, yeah or form? yeah as long so, as and the, the, broker, the main, broker would do that for you yeah but the main concern is that she knows where it is paul that, that she knows where it is and ultimately she knows how to manage it in some small way yeah, so she can log in. She knows how to log into. Yeah. You, what you're saying is for other other investors who may have a, a a partner who who would be left in that situation of dealing with your investments that they they do at least know how to log into your online trading uh, online account yeah. Uh, yeah. and they know the details of your yeah. broker and or, how to or, get in touch. Or at least that they know um, the account details. You know, to write to write a letter and say I'm I'm very sad to say that uh, you know Marcus. Has has fallen away, you know. He's 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 gone away now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that I'm going to go, but first before Elaine, and and this is a two way street. So I now have, have a recipe for fish pie and Bakewell tart, Paul. <laughs> yeah, would you believe it? One one desert island, one palm tree, one coconut, and it lands on your head. Yeah, oh, there you go. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark, just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.